Welcome to Sword and Shield, the official podcast of the 960th Cyberspace Wing. Join us for insight, knowledge, mentorship, and some fun as we discuss relevant topics in and around our wing. Please understand that the views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the views of the U.S. Air Force nor the Air Force Reserve, and no endorsement of any particular person or business is ever intended. Good morning. And welcome back to the Sword and Shield podcast. I'm Colonel Rick Erich, 960th Cyberspace Wing Commander. And today we have a special guest from the 55th Combat Comm Squadron, Lieutenant Colonel Williams, a squadron commander. Good morning, Colin. How are you? Hey, good morning, sir. I'm great. Good to hear from you. Yeah, I appreciate you doing this. Uh, certainly, we'd rather do it in person and, you know, have you sitting here. It's easier to have conversation. But you're at Robbins right now in beautiful middle Georgia, and I'm here in Texas. So um, we're going to try to do our best here over the phone. Yes, sir. Sounds good. How, how How's the weather now in uh, middle Georgia? So we've kind of got our, these are the days when you wear your coat, but you also bring your your short sleeve t-shirts because it's going to be 30 degrees in the morning and 70 degrees in the afternoon. But, um, it's good. We don't really have the traditional four seasons anymore, but, uh, 30 degrees is about as cold as we get here. That must be good for training and getting out in the field where it's cool in the morning and you don't overheat. And then by the afternoon it gets nice. And as you're wrapping stuff up. Yeah. If you're ever wearing your, your Kim gear or your mop gear, you want to make sure you're out there in the morning. You don't want to be out there in the afternoon when it gets above 70 degrees. And we try not to do that type of stuff uh, during the summer months. So we're actually coming up during the March UTA to get all that gym training out of the way. Yeah, that's smart. I know your airmen appreciate you thinking about that. And not that um, we're not going to have to do that in real world scenarios. You don't get to choose um, when you're going against an adversary in the type of weather. But certainly making sure we're taking care of airmen and make sure they're ready is is really important and their health and safety obviously is, is our number one concern. So, um, so we touched on a little bit with some of the training you do. Tell us a little bit about the combat comm squadron mission and for people listening that aren't familiar with it. Um, what's that like? And, and, and what kind of things are you guys doing and how's the training go? Yes, sir. So just a little bit unique. We don't necessarily have a day to day mission that gets accomplished. Like, some other Air Force units uh, outside of Combat Com do. Really, our, our day-to-day mission is training and readiness. Um, so that's what we do almost every UTA. Uh, we train to be able to rapidly deploy communications downrange, um, whether that's for a contingency or an exercise or a humanitarian response effort. Um, we've constantly got to be ready to deploy within 72 hours and get out the door, which is a unique requirement for a traditional reserve unit. Um, we've got just about, about 105 uh, assigned. We're authorized at, at 87, but we keep a couple extra on the books um, to just help uh, be there when, when other people can't volunteer to go downrange because obviously with that 72-hour response time, it's usually a volunteer. Um, sometimes we do get involuntarily mobilized, Um, traditionally to cover the reserve component periods, uh, the old AEFs um, that most people are familiar with. But um, the training is a little bit unique. Um, Like I said, we've we've got to be ready to go at a moment's notice so we don't get a lot of that just-in-time training. So we have um, training on how to pack a pallet, uh, training on how to get drive a forklift, uh, C-burn training. We shoot 
uh, we're in Army Group A, so we have to stay qualified on M4 um, annually. And so those readiness tasks are just really important to stay uh, up to date on within the Comic-Con community. Yeah, I find that fascinating. Um, I grew up in a uh, C-130 wing, very traditional wing in the reserve where we had very clear and distinct cycles of um, prepare, deploy, return, reconstitute. And it was all, you know, kind of circled around the flying schedule and when the flyers were deploying. Um, but you guys aren't like that. When I met, you know, I was down there and got my intro visit and met everybody. Like you have people going out the door like almost every year. And, and that battle rhythm is, is much different. So I think you're underselling yourself when you say we just try, we just train for readiness and ready to play. Like you have people constantly in different stages of cycles of pre-deployment, deployment, reconstitution, and then getting healthy and then starting that cycle all over again. Yes, sir. We focus it around that reserve component period. Um, and I know the Air Force and Air Force Reserve is talking about going to Mason possibly a different model, the four-gen model, but um, for now, we're still RCPs within within our squadron. And what we try to do is ramp up the battle rhythm as we get closer to that RCP. So we're, we were in Africa in 2020, um, and we, we were the comm squadron at an expeditionary air base in North Africa that was doing some... Um, we were providing the communications link for some special forces and some RPAs that were flying over there um, in North Africa. Um, and so then we come back and we do try to reconstitute a little bit. Once we come back, take some downtime, um, we're not quite as busy. And then we'll ramp up with some field exercises where we're just kind of here, but we're, we're going out, you know, maybe just across the road or going down to a different area on Robbins Air Force Base. And we're just kind of staying local. Um, so that was kind of 2020. We came back in 2020, so 2021. Um, now we're in 2022 in our RCPs next year where we're going to go again. Um, and normally we send about 30 to 40 folks during the RCP that are involuntary mode. Um, and so now we're in that, that we're really getting ready. And so now we're doing our overseas exercises. And so we go over to Germany and we help them out with the first combat comm squadrons over there. Um, one of our sister squadrons on the REGAF, they have a lot of MPA because they need a lot of help over there um, doing what we refer to as the European Defense Initiative uh, to try to deter Russia from doing anything that, that we don't want them to do. Um, and so those folks are over there um, for about six months. They go over on MPA. Um, and then we're also going to do an exercise in Jordan this year uh, right before the RRCP. Uh, and then the RCP, and then we go down a little bit. So we do try to keep it to a battle rhythm type uh, mentality on reconstituting immediately after an RCP. But those exercises that you just don't know what's going to pop up, whether um, 10th Air Force asks us to support, um, you know, any exercises uh, here locally that they're doing. Um, there's three Air Force Reserve combat comm squadrons that are all unit equipped. And so we try to stay so cool with the other two and rotating who's who's responsible for what during each year. So the two of us would never be in the same RCP bucket or supporting overseas exercises like the European Defense Initiative. We rotate with the other two squadrons. Yeah, I think that's really important, um, you know, to talk about. I know we talked a little bit off, um, you know, before we got started here off, off the record, but you just said that, like, people, you know, 20, what I heard was 2020, 2021, 2022, 
2023, like there's a cycle there where you get people in North Africa, Europe, uh, around the U.S. doing exercises um, and then Middle East and Jordan. And so if, if you want to see the world and you want to be in the Air Force Reserve, um, there's lots of opportunities here. And in the, the 55th Combat Com and the other Combat Com squadrons, great opportunities for airmen to um, do something different and, and really contribute to, um, you know, defense of freedom around the world. Yes, sir. And, you know, bunch of different opportunities. So we have uh, five One Delta AFSC shred outs um, within the squadron. Uh, we have uh, supply troops, um, supply airmen, I guess I should say, uh, Power Pro, HVAC. We have 17 Deltas on the officer side. Um, but just traditional comm squadrons, I think we look a lot different uh, with, you know, supply, Power Pro, HVAC, because we've got to provide our own generators um, and heating and air systems. Uh, the airmen get a little bit mad, but the heating and air is actually not for the airmen, it's for the equipment. So <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, it always does feel good to have that in your tent when you're overseas. And our equipment's, you know, highly mobile in transit cases, and... Uh, you know, pack it up on a pallet, get it on a forklift, get it over to a C-130, C-5, and uh, go anywhere in the world with it. So, like you said, lots of opportunities to travel and lots of different AFSBs uh, that you can be within the Combat Com community. Whereas, like I said, some of the other Com squadron, especially the Air Force Reserve um, Com squadrons, are kind of limited to, um, you know, just a couple AFSCs. Whereas uh, we have, like I said, the five One Delta AFSCs, Supply, Power Pro HVAC, yeah, that was that was interesting to me when I, you know, when I met and you guys toured and we met the airmen about just the variety of of skills and requirements that you have. The equipment um, blew my mind. I knew that you guys are unit equipped when we talked about equipment, but when you walk in and, and you see everything um, that you have and where we're going with technology and you've got um, old stuff that we're transitioning to new equipment and the, and the sexy, cool new stuff is hitting and just the training requirements there and, and, and making sure our airmen are constantly ready, not only to do their, um, to do their job, you know, be technically proficient, but like you mentioned, you've got to, you got to be able to stay qualified on your weapon. We got to do seaburn training. We've got, um, the world now is much different than it was when you and I came in as lieutenants. There's there's a lot of rules of engagement. There's a lot of different things happening that we have to make sure our airmen are are prepared mentally, spiritually, physically, and there's a lot of demands on them. And we're doing it in COVID. Um, so how have, how is that? Um, I'd be interested to hear how your airmen their experiences with deploying or returning in COVID and how that's how that's worked for them. Yes, sir. It's a little bit tougher on us. Um, as a, we're a unit-equipped squadron, so that means we own our own equipment. Um, and so we have, if you took all of our equipment and you packed it up, you'd be sitting at right around 35 pallets of equipment in every single Comic Com squadron. Um, well, the reserve Comic Com squadrons. And so that's a lot of equipment that we have to keep ready to go. Uh, we only have 10 full-time folks on the staff, and then about 90 of the authorizations sit on the traditional reserve side. Um, we have to put hands on the equipment. And so uh, COVID has definitely impacted our ability to put hands on the equipment at times. But as soon as we were able to bring airmen in, um, we were. And so uh, while other people... Uh, 
were kind of having to adjust to that virtual environment, we had to adjust to um, make sure you're wearing your mask, uh, make sure you're sanitizing your hands, stay six feet when you can, but if you can't, um, you know, don't share the same keyboard, uh, wash your hands after you share a keyboard with somebody. And lucky for us, we really haven't had any um, COVID outbreak after a UTA. I think the only one is one that hit our full-time staff pretty heavy. Um, but again, you know, that was, it was in the middle of the month. Um, and it was just some folks that share an office and we kind of all just went virtual a little bit on the full-time staff. Um, but we have preventative maintenance that we have to do on that equipment. And so I think we only had two or three UTAs where we were virtual. Um, we did get to a, uh, we were still bringing in airmen, but what we were doing at times was not bringing in as many at the same time to just not have an all 90 come in on Saturday, Sunday. And so we kind of asked for maximum flexibility through the group and the wing and the NAF on when we can do our UTAs. And we split it up a little bit to bring in 25 airmen when we could and 25 airmen maybe the next weekend, 25, you know, maybe in the middle of the week if they could get off work. Um, we didn't want to force that on anybody. But by allowing that flexibility, um, we learned a lot about ourselves and, and the, our ability to, to maybe uh, increase our operations if we needed to. Um, by having that flexibility of when to come in for a UTA. Yeah, the challenges there that COVID presented us um, was frustrating, but it did allow us to innovate just in the way we um, adapt and and handle our training with our airmen. And you guys did a, a great job of just figuring it out and figuring out what's going to work for you and maybe not work for other people, but what works for you works for you. And so, yeah. And then we, we allowed you to have space to be able to do that. So really excited about what you guys figure that out. And I know people out the door and, and you spent a lot of time getting them ready. So um, I think that's, that's feathering you and your team's hat to make sure our airmen are ready, but I know you don't do it alone, right? So there's a lot of other organizations and, and partnerships that are important, not only to you, but to the combat comm community. And so I know, we really lean on you there at the 55th to make sure we have a really solid relationship with the fifth mob and cause you're co-located there and, and we're really tight and trying to support them in, in any way we can. So talk a little bit, if you would, about the partnership there and what it means and what that looks like, even probably some of the other um, airmen and the other two combat comm squadrons don't understand really how tight and how important that relationship is um, not only to you, but to, to the wing itself. Yes, sir. No, that, that that relationship is definitely special. And while we were actually talking on the phone, um, Mr. Steve Feely, who runs their systems learning and integration center, um, was just looking at my window. And I kind of said, hey, hold on, I'll call you later. <laughs> um, but he, he's here because um, we just recently got a new Cisco appliance for how we're going to do, how we're going to encrypt our voice systems. Um and th they are the experts over at the Systems and Learning Integration Center at training airmen on, on new systems. And so to be co-located with them, I can literally start walking through the woods behind my building and I'll end up at the Systems Learning Integration Center. We call it the Slick. And so he was over here. Like I said, we got a new Cisco appliance that's going to encrypt our voice a little bit differently, more secure. And we've never used it before. And we're going to take it out for what when we have our rodeo at the end of April, early May. And we need to make sure that our infrastructure airmen are, are qualified on being able to operate that equipment and sign them off uh, within their training records to make sure that they can do that. And 
So that relationship has been really, really good uh, for us here at the 55th. And it's a little bit unique, like you said. Our ComSec gets issued through the 5th Comic-Con group. Um, they've got two line squadrons, the 51st and 52nd. So uh, we have a couple airmen that are on MPA with them, um, helping them through, through their taskings and getting ready. And then the support squadron uh, has been really beneficial for us. What, we're gonna, what we've been trying to do is get the 860th um, Operation Support Squadron uh, in line with the 5th Combat Communications Support Squadron and start kind of sharing some of those tasks on what they're doing for the line squadron so that the 860th OSS is able to help us out uh, in a similar fashion. Yeah, I think that's a great partnership there. And, and, and I, I hear from Gumbo and I hear... I hear it inside the 16th Air Force walls and halls talking about um, that they can't do it without us. And and so I really, really excited about that and take it to the next level. Right. And you mentioned new equipment's kind of um, always showing up and sometimes not as fast as we want. We call it new. It may not be new to industry, um, but it's new to us. And so I know sometimes there's frustration by our airmen who are working out in industry and then they come in and they're like, hey, this is new, but. Um, we got to figure out and make sure how all this, how, how the new equipment can integrate with stuff that's really old. And, and so that mindset of just problem solving and figuring out is, is fascinating to me and, and led. And when you, when you toured me around and um, they had that all the equipment out on the tables and stuff and airmen are just getting after it and figuring out how to make it work. So that's exciting part is that our airmen are able to solve the problems um, and, and, and build for the future. So um, there's been a lot of discussion. I know you and I and, and the other leaders have had a lot of discussion about what air, air agile combat airmen is going to look like and the ACE concept. And so I wonder if you can talk a little bit about um, where you think we're headed, what kind of things do our airmen that are currently in those uh, roles and missions and units need to think about and then what are new airmen what is, is expectation going to change on new airmen where combat com fits in into the community? I know it's emerging. Um, we can pontificate if you want about where we think it should go. That's fine too. Um, there's, there's no need to imply and stay to the, um, to the, the strategy, which I think is kind of continually evolving. So um, what, what are your thoughts? No, I mean, we've been talking about, multi-capable airmen within combat comm since I was a second lieutenant. Um, we had a package called a DICE package, which was a, a small um, five-person team. And so when you've got all those different AFSDs that we just talked about, of the five, uh, there was an officer that led the team. Um, there was a power pro troop that also had to cover down on HVAC because we didn't take out an HVAC. And then you've only got three other airmen. And so those airmen have to know the other systems. And, you know, sometimes a, a SCON, network ops airman, needs to know the SCOI infrastructure. Um, but we, like I said, we've been talking about multi-capable airmen um, for a long, long time. And, and I think it's starting to evolve even more with the ACE construct. And with the ACE construct, what we're hearing at times is, is it a pool specialist that knows how to operate a PRIC-117 Golf uh, you know, air to ground radio or ground air ra radio. So it's not just cyber guys knowing other skill sets. I truly believe the multi-capable airmen is, is just airmen that are able to solve problems. Um, it's not taking their training tasks and learning exactly how they do their job. Um, but 
innovating on the ground um, away from, you know, a, a commander that's able to direct exactly who's going to go where. There's going to be some unknown situations during ACE. And we need airmen at the lowest level from A1Cs, you know, up to chief master sergeants to be able to, to think on their feet and get it done. Um, within our equipment specifically, uh, we're getting a lot more IP-based equipment. And so even our RF trans personnel, um, they now have an FBI code voted against them, which means that they have to have, you know, special security training in order to operate the equipment. Um, and we had a former one Bravo that came to us from the 42nd Cyber Operations Squadron um, that was able to help them out with something because of his, his Linux and Unix background. Um, that's unique for Combat Com. And, and those kind of skill sets, um, even coming from the 42nd cost of the former one Bravo coming in and, and looking at, you know, an RF trans system that now the modem is, is IP based and we've got to use Linux to look at the code. Um, that's a little bit more complex than what traditional combat comm systems have been in the past. Uh, and as we're getting more complex, we need those airmen to be um, more skilled in it with multiple different areas. Yeah. I think that's, that, that's fascinating to me that, um, that there's, there's coming to be this convergence of requirements from equipment and personnel that, that are clearly getting more and more technical. And, and, and so as we move forward and the kind of skills we need people, um, I think you nailed it. I think problem solving is really important and having that technical background to think creatively how to solve a problem. You and I don't care how they solve it. And, and the end user just wants the phone to work or wants the email to go through or in, in a distributed, um, decentralized kind of operation, whoever's on the ground needs to get the ATO for the pilot they know what the mission is to fly and they need to hand that and they may need to help pump gas or your airmen are all trained to defend the airbase if they have to and do convoys. We're going to see more of that. And you guys are really at the front edge, at least in this wing, about what that is. And so I know we have a lot of discussions about you helping us figure that out and lean on. And, and frankly, the rest of us in the wing are a little bit jealous. You guys get to go out and, you know, do sim rounds and do some of that training that the rest of us don't get to do. And then I think, we need to continue to lean on that and our, our Air Force and the joint force for the next fight is going to need that, especially in the Pacific Theater. And so it's really exciting to be evolving and be part of it and continue to have um, our airmen figured out for us kind of as we go. The old analogy that, you know, we're building this thing as we're flying the airplane is um, is where the best innovation comes from. It's when, when we do our do our best work. And I know you got really great people there um, kind of coming in from all over. So um, it's, it's really important for us to recruit the right people, retain everybody that wants to develop them, give them the opportunities to grow and mature, and then, you know, lead our Air Force. And especially in the combat comm community, um, that means people have to deploy. Sometimes it's volunteer, sometimes it's a mobilization. And so I think great opportunities for anybody that wants to be part of something really exciting, what the future is, a lot of growth happening in your business. Um, and everybody wants to be able to have their comms, no, no, no matter where they are, what exercise, what place on the planet. Um, we can't do any of our missions without your operators. 
big thing about, I think, the uniqueness of the combat comm mission is there's only three officers in the squadron. Um, and we talked about there's over 100 people assigned. And so when you think about leadership opportunities, we have staff sergeants, tech sergeants that are leading these teams and going downrange. Um, and so to be put in a position where, where you've got that leadership opportunity to go down um, and forward deploy, I think it's going to be a tech sergeant that leads that team down to Jordan uh, later this year. Um, so a seven-person team that's going to go provide the, the comms for, for a 10th Air Force fighter squadron that's going to be down there. Um, and those are the types of things we want to keep getting involved in so that we start to build those relationships with those customers, um, you know, the future lead wings within ACE, start exercising with them now so we understand what software do they need, what type of radio requirements are they going to have. Um, you, you know, I heard in the past, I don't know where I even heard it, but someone said, you know, you don't want to meet your your uh, customers in the field from a Comic-Con perspective. Let's not meet them on the battlefield for the very first time. Um, let's get out with them now. And so we were down at Moody. I know the 35th down at Moody right now with the 23rd wing. Um doing some work with A-10s and the special ops community down at Moody Air Force Base. Um, I think it's important that we build that relationship with the 10th Air Force CAF guys as well uh, in the future um, with, as ACE evolves. Yeah, I think that's important, right? We need to practice how we're going to play. We think we know how we're going to play, but let's can practice and practice all those scenarios in the future. And um, thank you for leading that team. Um, through it and in supporting, uh, you know, the wing and all of our airmen and what we do and making sure that we're ready when called upon to dominate cyberspace and provide provide those comms for the warfighter. So thanks, Colin. We've come to the end of our time. Um, I really appreciate it. And, and what I like to do is I like to leave you with the last word. If there's anything that you want to share or um, with our airmen, internal or external. And again, thank you for your time and thank you for your leadership. vacancies and so for folks that are internal to the wing i really truly believe that doing um two assignments within the 960 cyberspace wing is a huge benefit for the amount of uh time and money and energy we invest in the in the airmen and the airmen invest in the squadrons um to go from like i said we have a member come for the 42nd cost down here um we sent uh somebody over to 689 nos um, we've sent people over to our first sergeants now, you know, Mass Sergeant Estes is now over with the 854 and working with the wing. And so I think it's, it's important for airmen to kind of see uh, kind of a squadron in the 960th and a squadron in the 860th and kind of bounce back and forth. Um, and so, like I said, we have AGRs that are advertised out there. It's a unique experience. Uh, I say come in, at least get one deployment under your belt, and, and then if you got to move on, move on. Uh, it can be a an exhausting career field within Comic-Con if you stay in it, uh, you know, year after year after year. We've got some that do, but uh, the folks that do that really, really love what they're doing, and they wouldn't have it any other way. And if we probably stopped deploying, they would probably go find another unit to be in. And so the Guard has opportunities within Comic-Con as well. Um, and so always look for those opportunities that are out there and give me or Chief Francois a call if you want to join the 55th Comic-Con Squadron. Thank you, sir. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Colin. And uh, again, thank you to all your airmen too. Please pass it along. We really appreciate what they're doing and best of luck and um, safe travels for everybody. All right. And, have a great day. All right. Thank you.